Fear is a powerful motivator. Do you know that? We've just come through a time when fear has pretty much dominated and created everybody's decision. Let's keep that in mind. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Word of God, the Bible, as we go through it. It's exciting. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's up? I'm going to be talking about King Omri and his new capital city of Samaria. Ryan? Well, there's at least nine instances of specific individuals being raised from the dead in the Bible. So the question is, what sets Jesus Christ's resurrection apart from all of these, these others? Well, it's a good question, and I'm going to try to answer it in about 15 minutes. All right, very good. So stay tuned. This half hour is going to be good. What did you do, Jen? Of how much more value? All right, very good. That's an excellent title. Get your Bible out and get your Bible guide out. If you don't have one, why not? We'll tell you how to get one in just a moment. But let's begin to listen to what God has said. First Kings 17, verses 1 through 16. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew, nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. 
The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 16. First Kings 14, 15, 16, and 17. These are four chapters we continue to read through as we go through the Bible this year. It is very exciting. And today we're going to learn something about fear. You see, fear is a powerful motivator, isn't it? After the last two years, we can say that. There are millions of people operating in fear who are making decisions in life that affect how they and others see the world. Fear. But God desires us to make decisions out of faith. He told his disciples many times, do not fear. God desires us to make decisions out of faith and not out of fear. Now, this principle is something that the prophet Elijah understood. 1 Kings 17 gives us a look into the life of a woman who put faith into action. She did what Elijah said, even though she may have been filled with doubt and a little bit of fear. The widow who entered the prophet or encountered the prophet, I should say, was desperate and needed money to survive. She was actually preparing the last meal for her and her son when God sent Elijah, who arrived and asked her for something to drink and something to eat, which was astonishing to her because, well, she did it anyway. She did that and she made the decision in faith. And you want to know something? God blessed her. God blessed her and made her successful because she did that. I'm telling you, God does this. He did that for us the past two years, and he's continuing to do that. And I pray that God would help you to understand that that's the way you go forward. You know, not by, you know, this grant or that grant or any other grant, but by the way God God uses those things, but the way God helps you to give to his ministries, very important. Fear or faith, fear versus faith, actually. That's what we talk about today. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have a Bible guide, why not? Call or write, or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page where you can donate. Thank you for your donations. We appreciate that very much. And uh, then it'll take you to a page where you can download the PDF files, just like we printed them. You're seconds away. All right. Father, I pray today um, that you would help us because, you know, fear is not overcome just like that. No, no. Fear goes away with our life as we begin to put our faith in you and we learn to trust you. The money says, in God we trust. We learn to trust in you, not in the money. Help us, Father, to understand what you're saying. So much of our decisions are based on doing what we think is good for us, but help us to do what we know is good for you, according to what your word says. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, look at the scripture, verse 17, 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite the inhabitant of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, 
get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens, the birds, to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Wow, fed by birds. You see, God told Elijah where to live during the famine and fed him with ravens. <laughs> I got to tell you, this is amazing. You see, there are times God may tell us to do unusual and what we would call risky things. Things of risk. I think pretty much every day these days is a thing of risk for me. I get up in the morning and I say, God, I can't do it, but it's you. So providing, you know, God has done that. He's done miracles providing for us. I mean to tell you, God is amazing. And I pray that our partners and our people who support us and all of that, that God has done that for you too. Praise God. And I know he will. All right, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7 says, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So God had already worked with her a little bit. We don't know what's going on here, but he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Verse 11. And she was going to get it. And he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. God commanded a widow. This, you have to understand, this is somebody who doesn't have a husband, okay? A widow preparing her last meal to feed the prophet. Give everything to me, God says. When we fulfill our commitment to God first, God first, he proves himself faithful. God is not a God who does not prove himself. Keep that in mind. We want proof of God. We want to see it out here before we step into it. But God says, no, I want you to step into it. Step into the need and I will show you my proof. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? It means we have to have faith. Well, that's fascinating. She did that. Now, what happens? Well, watch this. It's really something. First Kings chapter 17, verse 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. She was at the end. And Elijah said to her, I love this part. Look at this line. What an amazing line. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. 
The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Well, the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. A miracle. What a... The Lord spoke through the prophet Elijah to feed him first. <laughs> you see, God's faithful promises are given to help and to heal us when we obey him. God's faithful promises help and heal us when we obey God. That's exciting. Let's obey the Lord today. Let's make that decision. Today, we're going to obey God, no matter what. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, today we read 1 Kings chapters 14 to 17, and my segment focuses specifically on the last part of chapter 17, where Elijah raises a widow's son from the dead. Now, while this is the first time in the Bible that someone is raised from the dead, it certainly isn't the last. As a matter of fact, there are at least eight other times in the Bible that an individual who was once dead raised to life. Now, this all, of course, through the power of Almighty God, the giver of life. But all of these raisings bring up a very interesting and important question. What sets Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection apart from all the other raisings in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Within the biblical record are at least nine instances of specific individuals being raised from the dead. Three of these are found in the Old Testament and include the raising up of a widow's son by Elijah in 1 Kings 17, the raising up of a Shunammite woman's son by Elisha in 2 Kings 4.35, and the raising up of a man whose lifeless body merely touches the bones of Elijah in 2 Kings 13.21. In the New Testament, there are six occasions of specific individuals being raised up. Of these, three are performed by Jesus himself, including the raising of a widow's son at Nain, the raising of Jairus' daughter, and the raising of his friend Lazarus. Similarly, in the book of Acts, Peter raises Tabitha, and Paul raises Eutychus. And then, of course, there's the momentous raising of Jesus Christ on the third day after his death and burial. In addition to all of these, there is a group of dead saints that rises out of their graves between Jesus' death and resurrection in Matthew chapter 27. While all of these miraculous raisings are a truly magnificent testimony to the power of God, they also beg an important question. What is it that sets Christ's resurrection apart from all the others? A key passage is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 to 23. As one notable Bible scholar explains, here, Paul says that Christ is the firstfruits of those who are resurrected. But what about those who were raised before his resurrection? What about those in the Old Testament, or the ones Jesus himself raised? Wouldn't they be the firstfruits? Not according to Paul. Jesus was resurrected, never to die again. 
All those others who were brought back to life were raised, but they would eventually die again, to be raised a final time with all those who belonged to Christ at his second coming. The quality of the resurrection was something very different from the resurrection Jesus experienced. In addition to all this, Jesus' resurrected body had new characteristics, which his pre-resurrection body had not possessed. He was able to appear and disappear at will, and he ascended to heaven in his physical body. None of these other people who were raised had yet received their new resurrected bodies. They were raised in their mortal flesh and blood bodies that they had previously died in with the expectation that they would die again. This is why the resurrections are really resuscitations, while Jesus was resurrected in the very fullest sense. The physical bodies of these others were resuscitated, but Jesus was resurrected with a body that was recognizably his own, yet radically transformed. Thanks be to God that those of us who are in Christ will also receive radically transformed bodies that will not be subject to decay or death anymore. So we can see that Jesus' bodily resurrection was entirely different than all the others. These others were brought back to life in their original mortal flesh and blood bodies. It was more like a resuscitation. But Jesus' rising was the first true resurrection. He rose in a new kind of body. Though still physical, this new body had special properties, and it was a body that would never see death again. And the fact that Jesus' resurrection was considered the first fruits mean that those of us who are in Christ will also rise in this fashion when he comes again. So if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, then what are you waiting for? You might think that you don't need God, but the truth is that we're all hopeless sinners in need of a Savior. Oh sure, you might think of yourself as a good person, but by God's standard, we all fall very short. Just compare your life with God's Ten Commandments to see just how you stack up. The reality is none of us can get to heaven on our own because no matter how good we are, we will always fall short of God's perfect and holy standard. And the penalty for sin, even just one sin, is death. That's why God came in the flesh as Jesus Christ and lived that perfect life that we never could and paid for sin with his own life. It's a free gift for anyone, but you have to choose to receive it. How do you do that? Well, first you have to admit that you're a sinner and that you can't enter heaven on your own. But it's not just enough to admit you're a sinner. You also need to repent and turn away and forsake those sins and your sinful lifestyles and ask God to forgive you and he will forgive you. You also must believe in your heart that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for you, was buried, and rose from the grave on the third day. And lastly, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and commit your life to following him. Now, if you choose to accept this amazing free gift of salvation, then you too will be raised up with a body like Jesus on the last day. And there's no better news than that. Absolutely right. Absolutely right, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, Corey? All right. Well, I'm going to be focusing on 1 Kings chapter 16. And in this chapter, we see a huge upheaval going on uh, in the throne of northern Israel. So we have Elah, who is the, the son of Basha. So Elah is the king of Israel, and he gets killed by a man named Zimri. Zimri plots and kills him and takes over the throne. But he only rules for seven days before the military learns that Elah didn't just die, Zimri killed him. And so the, the army announces that they're not going to uh, follow Zimri. They want 
Omri, the commander of Israel's military, to be the new king. So Zimri ends up dying, and Omri looks like he has free reign of the throne. But there is another man who half of Israel seems to follow him, half seems to follow Omri. But because Omri has the military on his side, eventually his side wins out, and a civil war within Israel is ended. So now we have King Omri, who is on the throne of Israel, and he becomes a new dynasty founder. And his first move is to create a new capital city. Take a look. First Kings 16 tells us that Omri ruled as king of Israel for six years in the city of Tirzah. Then, deciding on a move, he bought the hill of Samaria and built on it a fortified city that became the new capital of the northern nation of Israel. Samaria, as we have it today, has been excavated twice, revealing that King Omri's original palace was used not only through the time period of the kings, it appears to have survived the Assyrian takeover in 721 BC. The Assyrians, after a long siege, must have exercised great restraint in not destroying the city or palace. Instead, they added insults to the injury of their conquest, installing their governor in the old palace of the kings, a symbol of utter defeat for the Israelites. The palace then, without much improvement, lasted through the empire takeovers of Babylon, Persia, and into the Hellenistic Age. During the Hellenistic period, the city was eventually destroyed and abandoned, but it was later rebuilt by the Romans, and famously by Herod the Great, who built a temple to Caesar Augustus on top of Omri's old palace. Omri's palace occupied the very summit of the hill, the most prestigious place in Samaria. Partially preserved by Herod's temple, Omri's palace was built on a large square rock platform that he had made by carving away all the extra rock. It was a 13-foot high platform that was climbed via monumental staircase. Researcher Dr. Rupert Chapman believes that Omri built his palace in the style of what's called a window house. This means the palace would have filtered you into the throne room by way of a pillared covered courtyard and grand doorways. The throne room would have been large, possibly two stories tall with a raised center roof whose windows let in light. He also believes that palaces like these had a type of balcony window out of which the royals could present themselves to the people. Interestingly, a pit was found during excavations that contained ivories from the original palace. They're beautifully carved with animals, trees, plants, gods, and more, revealing why the palace was called the Ivory House. One ivory is carved with a known motif, the woman at the window. So there we go, the, the, the city of Samaria is founded here in 1 Kings chapter 16, and a lot of history is going to come out of the city of Samaria. Quite famous biblical history, quite brutal biblical history. It's all coming up as we're going to continue to read through the Bible. Yeah, very interesting. Janice? Yes. So, of how much more value I titled this segment, and what an interesting uh, portion of scripture that we're in. Elijah has declared that a drought is on its way. And I want to start by saying that when you follow God, life really is a journey and an adventure. And it's not always good times. There are 
very difficult times that you will go through as a believer. But you know that God has a plan and a purpose. And when you include him in your life, when you put your faith and your trust in him, you will go through those times, but he will strengthen you on the other side. And a lot of times we don't even understand the journey that we go through. And so we look at this and and as I'm reading it again for so many times, because this is a well-known story taught in Sunday schools because of the ravens. And I thought, Bread of life and living water kept coming into my heart. Bread of life and living water. God gave a direction for his prophet Elijah. He had a plan and a preparation for him to feed him and give him water and drink and sustenance through this time. And so he sent him to to be by the brook Kareth and he had ravens who are scavenger birds bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat at night and he would drink water from the brook. Now, Rod and I know we have a little station in our backyard where Rod every morning faithfully puts peanuts out and the birds and the squirrels come. And a lot of times over this winter, we've had great big blackbirds, great big crows, and they come in and they scatter everybody and they come and pick and take. And on recycle days, they're the ones that come into the bins and they take. But here God commands the ravens to bring bread and meat to his prophet, to his disciple to Elijah. And so he is supplied for. The brook dries up, but does Elijah have to worry? No, because God says, I have prepared for you. There's a widow in Zarephath and she's going to feed you. You go there. So in the meantime, God has prepared the widow. I wonder why God didn't send Elijah first to the widow. Why did he have to go? But you know, in those times with Elijah, how amazing would it have been for Elijah to be sitting there by the brook and all of a sudden on the first morning, Ravens come bringing him food instead of trying to take it from him. They're bringing it to him. It was clearly God's provision. And as children of God, we will see that. We will see God's provision for us in ways that we never dreamed that just are not naturally things that happen. And he prepared that widow in the right time. That widow was out there collecting what she thought was going to be her last meal. And it wasn't. It was God's provision, not only for the widow, but for Elijah, for the widow's son, and for her entire household. And it was promised to her that if she obeyed what Elijah was telling her through God to fix him his meal first and give him drink, that God would provide for this woman and her household until rain came upon the earth, which is what exactly happened. Listen to what Jesus says about the ravens. Luke 12, verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them of how much more value are you than birds. You are valued highly in God's eyes. Come to him today. Follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He will provide for you. He is your heavenly father. Remember Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, these are our days for the prayer meeting on Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Bible Discovery TV. We stream live there for, for an hour from 3.30 to 4.30, very important. That's uh, Eastern time or New York time. 
and uh, we'll pray for you if you come on. Now today, we need to pray together. And let's pray this way. Lord, I, I pray that I would do what you have called me to do, to live in faith and not in fear. 